Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, thank you so much for joining with us today. If you have your Bibles, I wanna ask you to take them and open them with me to the New Testament book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter one for this morning's message and for our time together here today. Today, we are in the third week of a sermon series entitled Joy for the Journey, Joy for the Journey. Here, of course, we're studying the Apostle Paul and we are learning that he was on quite a journey. We've been reminded over the last few weeks that a journey is filled with ups and downs, highs and lows, mountains and valleys, sunshine like today and rain clouds like just a few days ago. A journey is filled with all sorts of joys and at the same time, uh, discouragements along the way. The apostle Paul had long desired to get to Rome as a preacher of the gospel of Christ. And so he, he had this ambition in his mind, if he could get the gospel to Rome, from there, the gospel could go all throughout the known world. Paul had this desire to get there as a preacher of the gospel. Little did Paul expect that he would eventually get to Rome, but he wouldn't get there as a free preacher, so to speak. He would get there instead as a prisoner. Yes, this situation was very different. Yes, this was not what he envisioned. Yes, this was not what he had planned. Yes, I would even say this is not what he had even longed for in this context. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been in a situation where things didn't work out the way you were expecting. Things didn't unfold the way you thought they should. Things didn't unfold the way that you thought God was going to do. And yet in the midst of it all, you've been in a place of uncertainty. That's where the apostle Paul was. But it made no difference to Paul. Paul doesn't seem discouraged by his circumstance. He doesn't seem to be deterred from his mission. Instead, he is such, so focused on his purpose and so focused on his calling, the Bible tells us that he had great joy. Joy is the overwhelming theme of this entire letter. In fact, even in his circumstance, he is so filled with joy that if you're just reading the book by itself, you almost forget the background for what is happening. In this moment, Paul is in prison. In this moment, Paul literally is in chains and he's bound to a Roman Praetorian guard 24 hours a day. What's amazing is we don't see him whining. We don't see him sulking. We don't see him down in the dumps. We don't see him discouraged. We don't see him saying, oh God, why me? No, instead, what we find is that Paul had joy in his journey. Maybe you're sitting there wondering this morning, how is that possible? How can you have that kind of joy in this journey? You, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm feeling right now. You don't know about the stress and the anxiety and the finances and the struggles. You, you don't know. I don't know them all, but I'm telling you this morning, we can have joy in our journey. We see in the Apostle Paul very clearly that no matter what he faced and no matter what he felt, there was still joy because he knew Jesus, because he continued to pursue a relationship with Jesus, and he continued to fulfill his mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this morning, it doesn't matter in this world what you face. It doesn't matter in this world what you feel. If you know Jesus, if you pursue a relationship with him to know him more and more, and if you are faithful to the calling that he's put upon your life, I'm telling you, friend, 
you can have joy for your journey. Well, in Philippians chapter one, as we wrap up this first chapter of the letter, today we see that Paul had joy in a third component. Now, we've seen already that Paul had joy when he looked at the body of Christ, the believers, and he found great joy uh, in his heart and life because of them. We've also seen that he had joy because of the gospel and the, and the way the gospel was progressing even in his circumstance. But today I want us to see it very loud and clear in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 30, this simple statement. Paul had joy in the faith. Paul had joy in the faith. And I'm convinced this morning, if we will understand what it truly means to have faith in Jesus and to live today by faith in Jesus, we too can have that same joy. Look with me at what the Bible says in Luke chapter one, beginning in the last phrase of verse 18. The Bible says this simple statement, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, keyword, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which way to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, Paul concludes, to remain on in this flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Listen to how Paul concludes this chapter. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too is from God. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, hold on for a moment, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Let's pray together. Father, would you right now speak to our hearts and minds? God, may our lives, our very lives be open before you today. Through the Holy Spirit, would you invade our living rooms, invade our kitchens, invade our, our, our wherever we're at right now, invade our very places to speak to our hearts and lives, to draw us closer to yourself. May we be saved, may we be changed, and we'll be made more into the likeness of Jesus today. I pray it all for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I preach to you on the subject, joy in the faith. Paul says loud and clear in Philippians 1 verse 25, there is joy in the faith. Now, of course, in our culture today, uh, we, we often confuse what it means to be a person of faith. Sometimes someone will ask the question, are you a person of faith? And that question can be, frankly, a very generic question. 
I would suggest to us today that nearly everybody in some way, shape, or form is a person of faith, even if that means they're putting their faith in themselves. That's a very generic, if you will, uh, inclusive thing, that we can all be a people of faith, so to speak. But Paul doesn't ask about being a person of faith. He says there's joy for those who are in the faith. He would also clarify in Ephesians chapter four that there is one Lord and God and Father over all. There is one faith, there is one baptism. And what Paul is saying is this, he's not asking if you are a generic person of faith. He's saying, listen, are you in the faith? Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Are you in the faith? The only way you can be in the faith is to believe in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Paul's referring to. And what he's saying is, listen, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you are in the faith, then yes, you can have joy in your life today. In fact, it's not just joy, it is great joy. Jesus promised in John 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So Jesus promises joy full in our life when he is the Lord of our life. The apostle Paul says, hey, there is great joy in the faith. And I believe as Paul penned these words, no doubt, the Philippian believers would have heard that statement that there's joy in the faith and they would have remembered that this is not just a teaching of the Apostle Paul, they would remember his testimony. They would remember the example that he lived before them. 10 years earlier in Acts chapter 16, the Bible tells us that Paul had been there in Philippi. And the Bible tells us as Paul was there in Philippi that he had been beaten for, for preaching the name of Jesus and, and for bringing a witness for Christ. He had been beaten and he had been imprisoned and he was given under the custody of the Philippian jailer. And, and literally the Bible says there he is in prison. It's midnight. I believe he's likely still bleeding from the beating he's gotten. He's there isolated there in the inner chamber of the prison with, with his buddy Barnabas. And the Bible tells us at midnight, guess what happened? The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16, these simple and yet powerful words of testimony, these simple truths. The Bible says at midnight, guess what they began to do? The Bible says they began to sing songs of praise at midnight. They began to sing songs of praise to the Lord as Paul and Silas were there and imprisoned and they had been beaten in a time where circumstances against them. Paul and Silas began to worship God and give God praise. Why? Because even in the circumstance, it doesn't matter what you face, it doesn't matter what you feel. Here's the wonderful truth. Nothing that you face today changes the reality of who God is and of the praise that he deserves. They worshiped God. They praised him. Why? Because they had joy in the Lord. Paul and Silas had joy in the Lord. And I'm telling you this morning, you can too. Maybe you're sitting there wondering this morning, well, pastor, if there's joy in the faith, then what's wrong with me? If there's joy in the faith in Jesus Christ, then why don't I have joy? Why am I overwhelmed? Why am I discouraged? Pastor, if there's joy in the faith, then why is that not present within me? Well, I wanna to suggest to you this morning three simple things to consider and examine this morning. Number one, I would encourage you to examine, are you truly in the faith? 
First and foremost, I would call you to really consider, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Many people would say, oh, yes, I have, but truthfully, they're putting their trust in religious works. They're putting their trust in the faith of their parents, so to speak. They're putting their trust in some, some experience maybe that happened years and years ago, but they're not living for Jesus as Lord today. So the question is, first examine, is Jesus truly your Lord and Savior? Secondly, I would ask you to examine this. If you don't have the joy of the Lord today in the faith of Christ, the second question I'd ask you to consider is, is there sin in your life? Is there something in your life that you need to repent of and turn from? David said in Psalm 51, as he was repented over his sin, he cried out and said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Why did he pray that? He prayed that because the joy was gone. It was gone because he was living in sin against God. But maybe you're there and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And and, and Pastor, I I don't know of unknown sin in my life. I can't think of something that I need to repent of right now in this moment. But but I still don't have that joy. Then I would encourage you to listen closely to the text from Philippians chapter 1. Because I believe Paul maps out several things that are all centered around, verse 25, this joy in the faith. Three things I want you to see from the text this morning about there being joy in the faith. Number one is this. There is joy in surrendering to the Lord. There is joy in surrendering to the Lord. Verses 18 through 21, the Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul was in a unique situation as he was there in prison. And literally, he's looking at his situation. He's looking at his circumstance. And and frankly, he doesn't know how this is going to unfold. He doesn't know how long this is going to last. He doesn't know what else he's going to experience. And, And he doesn't even know if he's going to get out of this free. He doesn't know if he's going to live or if he's going to die. But what we see loud and clear from his life is that he was surrendered to the Lord. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you surrendered to Jesus? Are you living your life trusting the Lord and trusting his plan? When things don't go your way, when things don't go the way you think they should go, are you willing to recognize that God is God and you are not? Are you willing to to trust him and not only willing to trust him, but to submit to his plan and his authority and to what he is doing? So often when things don't go our way, we get upset, we get bent out of shape, we can't make sense of it all. And so we, we in many ways kind of want to throw in the towel and get upset with God and get upset with others and go our own way, but not the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was completely surrendered to the Lord. And we see that in verses 19 through 20 and even through 21. Here's what Paul comes to the conclusion of. He literally says, according to my earnest expectation and hope, look at the bottom of verse 20, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now let me ask you a question. Would you want to suffer? I doubt it. Would any of us want to be imprisoned? Not very likely. Would any of us want to have our freedoms limited and restrictions? Would any of us want to be in a position where, frankly, we don't know if we've got another day or another decade or whatever, just complete uncertainty? I imagine none of us would want to be there. But that's where Paul was. He'd been beaten. He'd been imprisoned. He was in a place of an uncertain future. And yet he wasn't upset. He wasn't complaining. No, he's not trying even to get out of it. Here's what Paul's doing. Paul is boldly facing whatever was to come, knowing that Christ was being exalted in his body, is what he says. The word exalt here literally means to make large. 
It means to make large. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, I I know God. I know that I'm struggling and I know that I've been beaten and I know that I've been imprisoned and I know my body is showing signs of of pain and, and of torment and even of decay. But here's what I know. I know that even in the suffering, even in the hardship, even in the unknown, here's the wonderful truth. Jesus is being exalted. Jesus is being made large. Jesus is being magnified through my body. I love this word that Paul uses for the word exalt when he says Christ is being exalted in my body. The illustration is that of a microscope. Now I have to confess that science was not my favorite subject in school. It was always my hardest class in school, science, biology, anything associated with it. But one of the things I do remember enjoying about that season of my life many moons ago was the use of a microscope. A microscope, of course, I remember my, one of my, my teachers many years ago in early as middle school, seventh and eighth grade, bringing in these slides and, and they would kind of hold it up and they would ask us what we could see. And frankly, to the natural human eye, they'd hold those slides up and we couldn't see hardly anything. It was just such a small thing from the back of the classroom where I always liked to sit. You couldn't see hardly anything. But man, you could take that slide and put it under a microscope and that microscope would magnify that image so greatly, that thing would not only become visible, it would become enormous. Putting it under that microscope, you could see things that you'd never seen before. The illustration could also be given of a telescope. A telescope, of course, you could take and you could set it outside and and you could be looking for a far distant object, but man, you get that thing into focus and you're looking and suddenly that far distant object is brought very close. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Paul is saying for the believer, for the person that follows Jesus Christ as Lord, when we go through a time of suffering and circumstance, please understand, when we surrender to the Lord, here's what happens. What happens is this, Jesus is exalted in our body. He is made large in our body. He is brought near in and through our body. Here's what that means. Just as a microscope will make that object large, please understand, When we go through circumstance and adversity, as we trust God, it's not us that people see, it's Jesus that they see. Think of it for a moment. To an unbeliever, frankly, Jesus isn't that important. To an unbeliever, Jesus isn't that big of a deal. There's a lot more important things in life. There's a lot more important things to focus on. There's a lot more important things to pursue. There's a lot more important relationships to have. To an unbeliever, frankly, Jesus is just a distant person of the past, someone who lived and died, and they don't know what else happened beyond that. He's just someone of the past is a far distant memory. But when you and I, as believers, trust God, even in our circumstances, when we surrender to him, here's what happens. They begin to see Jesus living in and through us. And literally, our life becomes like a microscope that makes Jesus large. It helps them to understand how important it really is. Our life becomes like a telescope. Literally, even though Jesus may seem distant, it allows them to come close to where they can recognize who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. Paul was in a moment where he was surrendered to the Lord. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, as the unsaved watch the believers go through a crisis, they can see Jesus magnified and brought much closer. This led Paul to a powerful summary. I love this statement in Philippians 1 verse 21. Here's what he said. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Many of us believe and we will accept that second statement of that phrase, yes, to, for the believer to die is gain. I want you to know this morning, if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, Jesus promised, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, which means for all who believe in Jesus, heaven is our home. For all who believe in Jesus, at the very moment we take our final breath, when that life is over, we step into glory. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes, for the believer to die is great gain. But notice what he also said. He said, for to me to live is Christ. Now, what the Apostle Paul was saying here in this moment is, for me to live, if God's going to give me life and breath here on this earth, I want you to know this life is not going to be lived for me. It's not about my glory. It's not about my purposes. It's not about my name. It's about one person. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maltby Babcock, the old hymn writer, said it this way, our life is what we are alive to. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is it that makes you come alive? What is it that is your passion? What is the driving force and focus of your life? Truth is, if we consider how we spend our time, our resources, our money, all these different things, we quickly come into focus on what's really important in our lives. This pandemic and everything being put on hold has caused us to realize in many ways what was really important in our lives. Fill in the blank for a moment. For to me, to live is what? Family? Sports? For to me, to live is my career? It's my money, it's my possessions, it's my influence, it's my experience, it's my travel? For to me, to live is what? Here's the second part of that question. However you're describing and defining your life, for to me, to live is what? What does that benefit you in eternity? What are you investing your time in, your life in that really matters beyond the temporary here and now? The apostle Paul said, matter of factly, for to me to live is Christ. In other words, he was saying loud and clear that Jesus is my life. I wanna know Jesus and I wanna grow in Jesus and I wanna live my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can that be said of you? Can you say without a shadow of a doubt that your life would be simply stated in this way? For to me, to live is Christ. Friend, if you can, then you know when that day comes that you breathe your last, to die will be great gain. The apostle Paul said it this way. He said in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live and the life that I now live, I live by faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what he's saying? My life is not about me. My life is for the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever his will, whatever his want, whatever his word to live is Christ. In Colossians chapter two, three, verses two through four, he said, listen, believer, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Your life is hidden with Christ. So surrender to the Lord and live your life for him. What about you this morning? Are you surrendered to Jesus? Are you trusting him, knowing that he is faithful and knowing that he is good, knowing that he is with you? Are you trusting him? that he's working all things together for his glory and even for your good. 
Many believers are robbed of joy today, not only because of sin, but because they simply aren't surrendered to the Lord and to his will. May that not be true of us today. The second thing I want you to see this morning is this, there is joy in serving the Lord. Yes, there's joy in surrendering to the Lord, but Paul goes on to tell us there's also great joy in serving the Lord. I love the statement the Bible says in verse 22, as Paul is contemplating heaven, he says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which way to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to part to be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You know, the truth of the matter is this morning is that selfishness has a way of robbing us of joy. It really does. When we become so internally focused that we live our life based upon our wants, our preferences, our likes, our conveniences, when we live our life for us, it has a powerful way of robbing us of the joy of the Lord. The Apostle Paul understood that there was joy in serving the Lord. Now, I don't know how you would have responded to Paul's situations if you were in his shoes, but I think I can tell you how I would have responded. If, if I'm in a situation where I'm in prison, my freedoms are limited, I'm likely to be beaten, I don't know what persecution is coming, I don't know how many false accusations are gonna come, I don't know when this thing's gonna end, I'm probably looking at God and saying, God, I love you, please deliver me, please get me out of this mess. I think Paul's in a place right now, frankly, where heaven's starting to look really good, Right? I mean, the idea of heaven in this moment is looking even better and better and better. But here's the reality. As Paul focuses on heaven, as Paul gets in an eternal mindset, if you will, it gives him a right perspective and a sense of urgency about how he's to live his life in the moment. In other words, it's because he's mindful of heaven and he's mindful that to die is gain. It's because he's mindful where his eternal home will be that he has a right perspective in the present about what God is calling him to do in that moment. In other words, as we focus beyond the brevity of life and focus on eternity and where our heavenly home really is, it gives us a clearer perspective and an urgency about living our lives for what truly matters. Here's how C.S. Lewis said it. He said it this way. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. And it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Here's what Paul says. So if I'm gonna keep on living, here's what it means. It means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor for me. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is your life bearing fruit? Is your life bearing fruit? Are there ways in which right now that you are laboring for the Lord? I love what the Apostle Paul says there. Remember the context of this. Paul is in a moment where he is imprisoned. He, he's, he's in custody of the Roman guard. He's literally in chains, bound to a guard 24 hours a day. And here's what he says. So if I'm gonna keep on having life here on this earth, if God's gonna give me another day, here's what it means. It means I'm gonna be working. I'm gonna be laboring. There's gonna be fruit for my life. I'm not gonna waste a moment. I'm not gonna waste a day. I'm not gonna waste my life. It's gonna be fruitful labor for me. Let me ask you a question. How do you labor for the Lord? 
How do you serve Jesus? I believe you serve Jesus by serving others. Jesus said in John chapter 13, as Jesus was gathered together, the disciples had gathered in that upper room, and we remember the story that Jesus took off his outer coat and he, he girded himself with a towel and he, he knelt down and he began to wash the disciples' filthy feet. They were amazed at his humility. They were amazed, frankly, Jesus was putting the needs of the disciples above his own. Nobody would have really wanted to wash their feet, but Jesus willingly did that. And after he washed their feet, he backed up in verses 14 and 15. He said this, if I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Please understand what the Bible is telling us is this, is that Jesus was showing us the beauty and the joy that comes from humbly serving others and putting their needs before our own. Think of Paul for a moment. Fast forward to Philippians chapter one. Here's the apostle Paul. I imagine in this moment as he is in prison, heaven literally is looking better and better. Heaven sounds a whole lot better than a prison. Streets of gold sound a whole lot better than Roman chains. Uh, being in the presence of the, of the saints there in glory sounds a whole lot better than being in a place of isolation. A mansion in heaven sounds a whole lot better than a jail cell. The presence of the Lord so much better than an ugly Roman guard. Here's the truth. Paul wasn't living his life for himself. Paul wasn't focused on his wants, his will, and his work. He was focused on one person and one person only, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul was focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, he wasn't focused on what he wanted. He was focusing on the needs of the body of Christ. So Paul looks and he literally comes to the place of conclusion when he says this, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. In other words, the needs of others were far more to the important to the apostle Paul than his own needs. He recognized the need for these believers who were still young in their faith. They needed to be encouraged. They needed to be equipped. They needed to be built up. They needed to be served. And he looks in this and he says, listen, I want you to know as I consider this back and forth, oh, I greatly desire to be in heaven. Oh, that's so much better. But I understand for your sake, it's necessary that I go through these sacrifices, that I go through these hardships, that I go through these pains because ultimately my life is for the glory of God and for the good of his people. The Apostle Paul comes to this place of conclusion in verse 25 and he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. That word progress here is the same word that's used in verse 12 to describe the gospel. We saw last week, it literally means a pioneer advancement. It literally means that the apostle Paul looked at their lives and said, listen, I believe as I serve the Lord, God can help you to grow and God can help you to be strengthened in your faith. God can help you to be encouraged in the midst of the circumstance. God can help you to grow in the likeness of Christ. And that is the purpose. That is the mission that God has given me. So I'm gonna keep on serving Jesus. Oh, friend, I want to encourage you this morning. The goal of our service should always be to honor the Lord and to help others grow in him. How about you? How are you serving the Lord today? How are you encouraging the body of Christ today? I realize that we live in a very unique time in our lives. It has been a strange, strange and challenging season, no doubt. 
We've been going through this pandemic where we have been in a place of stay-at-home orders across Virginia. We've been limited to groups of 10 in social gatherings. And as a result of that, in our worship service here today, you've seen a portion of the band. There's a media and production team that's helping to get things to you on the other end of the stream. But the fact is, in this building today, there are 10 people. Such a strange experience altogether. I realize for some of us, this time has been a has been an encouraging break. It's been a time of of Sabbath, so to speak, a sabbatical, so to speak, a season of rest and refreshment. Praise the Lord for that. I realize in this season that many of our ministry teams, we've been greatly limited in how we can serve and it's been very, very different. But I wanna encourage you this morning. God has called and he has equipped every single believer for the purpose of serving him. And there is great joy when we serve him. I want you to know this morning that, that I believe that, that, that we must be careful, though, in the midst of this pandemic to not allow us to become so isolated and so comfortable in our conveniences that we get lazy and we get a mindset of not working and not doing. Literally, when Paul says, my fruitful labor, I'm going to be having fruitful labor, the word literally means to work. It's the idea of exerting great energy. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm not going to be lazy. Yes, my freedoms might be limited. And yes, I might be in prison. And yes, I might be in chains. But if God gives me life and God gives me breath... And God gives me ability. I'm going to keep on serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that looks different today. I know that means we've had to be creative today. I know that means we have to be thinking out of the box. But please understand this morning, a pandemic doesn't mean that the service of the Lord needs to be put on pause. Yes, we must be willing to serve. Yes, we must be willing to get uncomfortable. Yes, we must be looking for ways to be creative and intentional about continuing to serve the Lord. Why? Because it brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ but it also benefits others as they grow in him. Third point I want you to see is this. Yes, there is joy in surrendering to the Lord. There is joy in serving the Lord. But third, there is joy in striving together for the Lord. The Bible tells us here in verse 27 that Paul begins to conclude this portion of the letter before we go into chapter two next week. And here's what he says. He says, I want you to continue striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? We've seen it numerous times before. 1 Corinthians 15, one through four, the gospel is the reality that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the grave. That is the gospel message. It is very simple. And yet the mission is also simple, and that is, as believers, we are to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. The Greek word for striving here is a very unique word. It's a word that, frankly, many of us can relate to. I imagine one of the things that many of us have missed during this pandemic have been sports. Many of us enjoy sports. I realize that doesn't apply to all of us. Some of us are more Star Wars and Star Trek fans, but that's okay. We love you too. Many of us, we love sports. We like sports for many different reasons. We like the competitive nature of things. We like to give the refs a hard time. And, and I don't know anything about that at all in my life. We like to cheer for our team and cheer for certain athletes. We enjoy sports. And of course, during this time, one of the things that's been canceled and put on hold have been sports. It's interesting though, and this is not an advertisement, but it's interesting to watch that over the last month or so, ESPN has been regularly showing sports movies, movies that will inspire and encourage. They've been showing documentaries of great teams and famous moments and events. Why? They're doing that not just because sports has been put on hold, but because they know there is something inspirational. There is something encouraging. There's something powerful 
When you see a team of different people and different skills and different experiences, when you see that team come together for a collective purpose and goal that they ultimately seek to accomplish. So pastor, what does that have to do with the pastor scripture? Here's what it has to do. The word that he uses for the phrase striving literally means with athleo, which is where we get our English word athletics. In other words, yes, the world around us has put sports on hold, but from God's perspective, we literally, from Paul's perspective, we're to come together just like a team would, like a group of athletes where each person has a part, each person uses their skills, each person uses their gifts and abilities and experiences where we come together for a common purpose, for a common goal, for a common mission. What is that? He tells us in verse 27, Christians, we are to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is our purpose. This is our mission. Beyond anything else you may do this week, beyond any other place you may go, any other conversation you may have, our calling as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, like a team Paul is envisioning, is that we are to come together, yes, different personalities, yes, different skills, yes, different backgrounds and experiences, but we're to come together as a unified body for the purpose of advancing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, he was buried in the tomb, and he rose again from the grave so that all who believe in him as Lord and Savior will be saved. This is our purpose. Paul's saying, listen, I want you to know there is incredible joy when as a team we are striving together for the Lord by taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I realize this has been a unique day for us as a church. Man, I, I miss being able to gather together in a large group setting. I miss being able to hug your neck and shake your hand and talk to you and fellowship and find out about your life and how your family, I miss that. Man, I desperately, I desperately long for the opportunity that we have to gather together soon. Right now, in many ways, we're not a church gathered, we're a church scattered. Scattered in homes and in places all over the valley. Some of you tuning in from other states. We're a church scattered. But in the scattering, let's not lose sight of our purpose and our mission. May it be said of us, as it was said in Acts chapter eight, verse four, these simple words, therefore those who have been scattered went about preaching the word. As we go to our homes and our neighborhoods and our workplaces for those of us that are still able to get there, here's the reality. May we go with the purpose and the intent mission to share the gospel and to take it to the ends of the earth. Now, I wanna close this message with three powerful words of warning. See, as this chapter comes to a conclusion, Paul tells us one last thing that we need to hear. It's like the apostle Paul said, listen, it's clear. There's joy when we surrender to the Lord and trust his plan. There's joy when we're serving the Lord and we are putting the needs of others before ourselves. There's joy when we're striving together for the gospel. We're not alone, but we're together moving forward. But there's a word of warning. There is an enemy. There is an adversary called Satan who will do anything and everything he can to prevent you from trusting Jesus. He'll do anything and everything he can to prevent you from serving the Lord. And you better believe the last thing he wants a believer to do is to share the gospel message with others. So Paul closes with three powerful words of warning that I wanna share with you today. And I wanna list them as instructions of what we must do 
three things. Number one, we must be uncompromising in our conduct. We must be uncompromising in our conduct. Please understand this morning that one of the most powerful weapons against the enemy is a godly life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in verse 27. He says it this way, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, please understand, Paul is not saying you can earn salvation, that you live in a way to deserve the gospel message and the salvation that is offered as a result. No, here's what he's simply saying. He is saying, be consistent. Don't just talk it, but walk it. If you profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it should be evident in the way that you are practicing that. Can I just say to you loud and clear that one of the things that I have been most concerned about in the midst of this pandemic has not just been the virus, but it's been the isolation and the separation. I think the Bible shows us all the way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden as Satan tempted Eve, and then later on in the Old Testament as Satan tempted David, and we see countless illustrations throughout the Bible. When we become isolated from one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we get out of that sense of community, we, we put ourselves in a situation where we are isolated and Satan has a powerful way of bringing deceptions and bringing temptations and bringing lies. And it's so easy for us if, we are not being, if we're not being transformed by the renewing of our mind, it is so easy to give in to the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. He has a powerful way if we're not being daily transformed. Paul says, listen, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, live in such a way that your life will give an evidence of the change that Christ has brought in your life. Here's how he said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. He said, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. I gave that joke earlier about the mom being the light of the world, but the truth is, believer, all of us are called to be a light in the world. So live our life without compromising in our conviction. Second, if we're gonna fulfill this mission, we must be undivided in our calling. We must be undivided in our calling. Notice what he says in verse 27. He said, I hope that whether I'm able to come to you or not, that I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. What's he saying? I am praying, church, that you will be unified. No doubt as the enemy brings about this isolation and the enemy brings about this separation, it brings us to a place where we begin to doubt one another. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter six, literally, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Why did Paul tell us that? He wants us to know that the source of, that the enemy, the source of our attack is Satan. It's not one another. Yet in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this circumstance, one of my greatest concerns has been the way that the enemy works to divide and to try to tear apart the body of Christ. It's no wonder in our culture today, everywhere we look right now, in the midst of this crisis, there's division. From D.C. to local state governments to questions within our own uh, region right here. There's divisions within the home. There are divisions between brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because the enemy in the midst of it all is having a heyday. And so what does God say? God says, listen, I want you to know you need to live. Paul is speaking. I want you to live in such a way that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind. 
John Phillips said it this way, there are too many real adversaries, too many golden opportunities, and too much to be done for Christ for Christians to split over non-essentials. May it be said of us this morning, Psalm 133 verse one, that it still stands true in our hearts and lives, in our homes and in the body of Christ. Listen to this phrase, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. But finally, yes, we need to be uncompromising in our conduct. Yes, we need to be undivided in our calling. But finally, brothers and sisters, we should not be alarmed, but we should be aware We must be unafraid of the conflict. When you and I stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, be encouraged, many will receive it. Some will believe and accept it by faith. But don't be alarmed when some oppose you. They're not really opposing you. They're opposing the name of Jesus that you're proclaiming. Paul said it this way, don't be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but it's of salvation for you. And that too is from God, for it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Don't be afraid and don't be alarmed. Jesus himself said in John 15, verse 20, that they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But I wanna encourage you, you face those times of suffering, when you face those times of ridicule, when you face those times of losing the job because of your witness, when you face those times of uncertainty, rejoice in the Lord. Knowing that in the midst of that, according to verse 28, literally this battle is proving that you truly do belong to the Lord, that you've truly been saved. Knowing according to verse 29, that yes, even though we may suffer, it is for Christ's sake. And if Christ can be exalted, and if Christ can be magnified, and if Christ can be made, made large and drawn near because of your witness, then to God be the glory. You know what Paul's saying? Paul began in verse 18, 19, and 20, and he concludes with this reality. No matter the cost, no matter the circumstance, his life was lived for the glory of the Lord, and in that, he rejoiced. You know, the fact of the matter is this morning, if we're living our life for ourselves, we're always gonna think we got the bad deal. We're always gonna think it was never enough. We're always gonna think that we didn't get what we deserved. But when we're surrendered to the Lord and we're living for him and for his glory, we will have a contentment in him and a joy in him that cannot be changed by a crisis or a circumstance. This morning, as I close this message, I wanna ask you to consider two things. Very simple. The first question is this. Are you in the faith? And by that, I'm meaning literally, have you believed in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again from the grave. Have you believed that in your heart? And have you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord? To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he's in control, that you surrender to him, that your life from this point forward is his. Are you in the faith? This morning, if you'd come to the conclusion that you're not, you can be by confessing Jesus to be the Lord of your life right now. So this morning, if you would like to be in the faith, you'd like to know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. I want you to know this morning, right where you're sitting, would you pray with me? Would you simply say, Jesus, I know that I have sinned against you and I am so grateful that you died on the cross for my sins and 
that you rose again from the grave. I know that you are the Lord. And today I put my trust in you to be my Lord and Savior. From this day forward, I pray that you would forgive me and change me and take control of my life, that I would live my life for you. I pray in Jesus' name. This morning, if you prayed that prayer with me, there's gonna be a tab there at the bottom of your screen. I wanna encourage you to go to that site. Let us know the decision that you made to follow Jesus as your Lord. But secondly, maybe you're tuning in today and you know without a doubt by God's grace, you are a believer, you're a follower of Christ. I wanna ask you, do you still have joy in the faith? Is there a sin today that you need to confess and turn from and experience again the joy of your salvation like David prayed in Psalm 51? Is there an area of your life that you need to surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry for living my life in such a way that I was demanding of you instead of surrendering to you, forgive me. Are you serving the Lord? Church, are we striving together for the gospel? If you know Christ your Lord and Savior and God's beginning to prick your heart about a specific thing that you need to confess, I encourage you right now, would you do so? Right now in your living rooms all over the valley and beyond, would you begin praying and say, Lord, I wanna live my life for you. Forgive me for the areas that I've fallen short. And for your glory and the good of others, may I walk from this day forward in obedience to you. May the outcome be that you and your name would be lifted up in and through my life, whether by life or by death, that you, Jesus, would be exalted. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.